Well, this evening, we intend to consider together the truth of God's Word as it is summarized in Lord's Day 10 of our Catechism, uh, where it speaks of the work of God, our Creator, in providence, in upholding the creation He has made. But before we do that, I'd like to read with you from Job chapter 12. Now, if you know the book of Job, Job has endured immense suffering, losing not just much of his property and his wealth, but his children and even his health. And his friends came, his three friends came, and they sat with him and they grieved with him, which was great. And then they started to speak, and that wasn't as great. And they, uh, they kind of made things worse by laying it all on him. And so we find throughout Job this dialogue between his friends and then Job responding, and another friend and Job responding. In Job 12, Job confesses really who God is, how great, how sovereign, how powerful in his interactions with the world. And so beginning in verse 7 of Job 12, we read... But ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens, and they will tell you. Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In His hand is the life of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is with the aged, and understanding in length of days. With God... Are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped, and judges he makes fools. He looses the bond of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped. And overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted. And takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes. And looses the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of the darkness. And brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth. And makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Amen. Thus we see the absolute sovereignty of God over the creation and all that is within it. And that's what Lord's Day 10 speaks to us of. There we have two questions concerning the nature of God the Father. The first is, what do you understand by the providence of God? And in answer, God's people confess that providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which He upholds as with His hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance but by His fatherly hand. Well, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us. We can be patient when things go against us, thankful 
when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from His love. All creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they can neither move nor be moved. Amen. Beloved of God, through Christ our Savior. It happened about 24, 25 years ago, but I remember it with such clarity. I was at the time a reporter for a newspaper in western Pennsylvania, and we had just begun, this dates me quite a bit, we had just begun to post our stories on the internet, which was really exciting. And uh, my father-in-law, who has always been an avid fan of technology, and also, as most of you know, is a minister, had begun reading my stories, which I thought was pretty okay. We, it gave us something to talk about, at least. Well, one day I had just submitted, and they had just posted a story about a storm that had really ravaged our area, and, uh, and my phone rang. It was Dad, wanting to know who exactly is this Mother Nature to whom I had referred in my story, and how... How was it that she was able to manipulate the weather? Thinking it was his infamously dry humor, I laughed. He wasn't laughing back. So I explained myself. I said, well, Mother Nature is just one of those cultural conventions we use. It's just, it's just a shorthand way of personalizing the weather colloquially. It was just, it was just a way to get their attention really wasn't a big deal. It wasn't meant to be a statement on worldviews. But he explained it was, in fact, a big deal. Because it was a subtle way, and in speaking of Mother Nature's wrath, it was a subtle way of cooperating with our culture's growing determination to ignore God and to ignore the power of His work. Worse, it was a missed opportunity to publicly confess the sovereign power of the true God. And he wasn't wrong. We hear it all the time, including among solid Reformed folks. Casual references to Mother Nature, to luck, to karma. Christians carelessly talking about sending positive vibes. They declare one another lucky. And each and every time it is a missed opportunity whether we're talking about the weather or about the work that we're doing or about the economy or about a medical diagnosis, every situation in which someone might mention luck or karma or mother nature or anything of the sort is a time that is ripe for confessing the power and the goodness of the true and living God. However, there is a blessing in how common such references have become. Because today, speaking of God's providential care is rare enough to be noted and to prompt questions. And that's a very good thing. Because it gives us an opportunity to talk about what Lord's Day 10 talks about, which is the providence of God and the comfort that comes to us through His providence. It's to equip us to take those opportunities that Lord's Day 10 exists. It's to help us understand how God is at work in the world around us and in our lives broadly so that understanding that we can testify to others and urge them to trust in Him as well. So what we see here is really a simple but essential message 
about how our Heavenly Father perfectly provides for His creation. That's our theme. Our Heavenly Father perfectly provides for His creation. And as we consider that theme, we need to recognize both the sovereign power of our God, but also His loving purpose as He exercises that power in in providence. We begin this evening then by considering how our, our Father provides for His creation in a way that asserts His sovereign power. Now, Lord's Day 10 dives right into providence, but we can't rightly understand what it says there about providence unless we begin by talking about creation. We need to remember here that God is, in fact, the creator. When there was nothing, when there was no earth and no sun, when there was no universe and no stars, when nothing yet existed, God was. And He designed all that would become. He determined the number of the stars and their nature and their arrangement. He decided how the physical world would look and would work and would continue. He determined what animals, what birds, what fish would inhabit that creation. He laid out the patterns of each landmass in the world, from the mountains and the valleys and the plains to the climates as they progress from one to another to another, to the flora and the fauna that inhabit them. When man was formed, God is the one who designed every feature that we possess. He designed our DNA. He established the diversity that would distinguish us among one another. He determined the the psychological and the spiritual aspects of our nature. He decreed how men would differ from women and how together they would complete one another. All, of, all that is, all that exists, our God designed it, brought it into being. So from the very start, the creation was established to perfectly set on display the nature of God. In the creation, as we observe it, we behold the evidence of God's power. He's the one who set the mountains in place. Those massive slabs of stone that dwarf us, He set them there. The majestic heights and the dizzying depths, He's the one who carved them all out like a master artist. He's the one who hemmed in the sea. The fury of the waters, as we saw last week, can erase bridges and buildings and cities. The might of the wind is unstoppable by the works of man. But God, God's the one who determines how far they can go and where they must stop. The furious power of the storm and also of the day-to-day weather. He's the one who not only created it, but controls it. The creation displays the unmatched power of God and also His wisdom. The way the creation is designed, how the various parts of it work together, it all openly proclaims the unmatched wisdom of our God. Look at the crops that grow in the fields all around us. Every spring, man plants those crops, puts all of that investment of seed in the ground, but he can't do anything beyond that, can he? It's God who causes those seeds to germinate and to draw nutrients from the soil so that they can produce stalks and leaves and profitable crops. And in due time, when those crops have been harvested by man, God 
causes the remnants of those plants to fall to the ground and rot, returning some of the nutrients that they had borrowed into the soil. And over the winter, he drops snow on them and ice that mixes them together with the soil and that infuses nitrogen into them. And the next year, man plants a different crop, and that different crop takes those those resources out of the soil and returns different resources that the next crop will need. God is the one who designed that kind of system so that there's a continual adding and taking away from the soil to bring forth food that will feed man and and animal. God designed that system and every other. The creation is filled with the evidence how God designed each creature, each plant, each thing for the place where he has set it. He designed it. He formed it all, and he's sovereign over it all. He has the authority to decide how it's used and the right to decree its end. And he alone has the the power and the privilege to interfere with it. And that's what leads us to providence. Our catechism says providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures. Providence is the power of God to uphold the universe. God could have created everything that is in a way that it wouldn't be dependent on him. That was, in fact, the argument of the deists who supported the early theories of evolution. That if God is perfect, then surely he would create a perfect creation that wouldn't need his interference. But you see, that's not how God works because God wanted us to learn that we are constantly and ever dependent on Him. So He created the world in a way that it would always be needing His guidance, His care, His interaction. As Job declared in verse 10 from our reading, in His hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God designed it that way so that we would know that we are constantly and absolutely dependent on Him. And He upholds the creation by His almighty power. As I said, God's the one who sent Hurricane Ian last week. His wisdom determined the course of that storm. His might directed its wind and its waves. God determines the speed of pandemics and of politics, controls the coming of drought and of flood. There is nothing that God determines to do that he is unable to carry out in the world. Again, as Job said, if he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. And if he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. That is the power of God that is everywhere present. There is no lapse in the care and the the sovereignty that he exercises. In fact, as impossible as it is for us to fully grasp, God's providential care encompasses absolutely everything. I love the list that our catechism includes to suggest this. Leaf and blade, rain and drought. Those are common, aren't they? He cares for the grass and the plants of the field. The rain that falls one day and the sun that dries the earth the next. God is in control of all of that. But also the big things, the things that make men wring their hands with concern and furrow their brows... Fruitful and lean years, God controls. Prosperity and poverty, health but also sickness, God is in control of it all. He, he, there's none of it that happens apart from His decree. 
That's why Job can urge us to ask any part of the creation about God's care. He says, ask the beasts and they will tell you, the birds of the heavens and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth and they will teach you, or the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? His providential care omits absolutely nothing. It encompasses the care of individuals, no matter how mighty they might seem. He leads counselors away stripped, and judges he makes fools. He looses the bond of kings and binds a waste. There is no leader of the earth who is so great, so mighty in power, that he is able to oppose God's purposes and God's care. Even the course of nations. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. From the brief lifespan and the minuscule impact of a single insect to the the law and policy decisions of the greatest nations of the world, God controls, directs all of them. And His care of it all conspires to declare and reveal His wisdom. Certainly the design of the physical world emphasizes the wisdom of God. He designed the mutual dependence of plants and insects and animals. He determines the weather patterns and the the climates and their constant interplay. Surely we can't study the world without feeling in our hearts. Job's words, with God our wisdom and might, he has counsel and understanding. And yet also, his wisdom is displayed in the unfolding events of history. If war breaks out, God has decreed for it to happen. And when peace reigns, God has written that before it occurred. He empowers scientific and industrial discovery that enables man to exercise dominion more effectively. And at times also, those men who bring about those discoveries, He humbles in their pride. With Him, says Job, are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are His. My friends, it is our task as those who know God, who understand that He is the only God and the true God, is our task to notice. Parents, you need to point out to your children the wisdom and the might of God that is everywhere displayed around us. Get them in the habit, which means you need to get into the habit, of noticing the design that God has created into the world. Of recognizing the wisdom with which He exercises government. The other day we were on a cadet camp out. And I happened to notice that the soil at the cadet campground was the same as the soil in my backyard, which is to say the same soil as a beach. It's sand with a little bit of organic material. But then I noticed that the trees in that campground were the exact same trees as in my backyard. Interesting. Oaks and maples and pine trees grow exceedingly well in that sandy soil. God designed that. He designed those trees to not only work well in that soil, but to work well with one another. There's something about those trees that works together to mutually support one another in that barren landscape. Point that out to your children. Let them see that. And when when they see the news reports of the might of the storm tearing roofs off of homes, 
filling formerly dry streets with so much water that they look like canals. Remind your children that our God is infinitely greater than that. He's the one who directs that water and that wind, and He's the one who will bring it to an end and bring about a recovery for those people who have lost so much. In fact, He is able, as He did with Job, to bring back upon them far more than that which they lost. We need to point that out to our children, not as a curiosity, but in the same way that Psalm 104 does. Psalm 104 is filled with testimony about how God interacts with the creation. And as we heard in our call to worship, it concludes, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. That ought to be the ultimate outcome of studying the works of the Lord around us. And that's the outcome to which we need to lead our children. As they study the world, as they see the works of God, as they behold His wisdom and His might all around them. Because as we show them that, they will begin celebrating God all around them. And that's essential. Because understanding providence, it's not just an academic thing. It's not just a curiosity like, huh, look at that. God designed that. God upholds that. What's for dessert? No, there's a payoff to this. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? My friends, it helps us immensely because we're not in charge of the world. We're not in charge of our lives. And so things are going to blindside us all the time. And we need to know where to look. We need to know where to find solid ground on which to stand or we're going to fall. And so that's the second thing that our catechism shows us here. The second thing that scripture shows us concerning the providence of God. And that's how God exercises his providence to apply his loving, fatherly purpose. This point is important for us to grasp because life is filled with opportunities for anxiety. If you spend time considering, focusing upon how expensive life is, thinking about how many bills regularly fill your mailbox, how much your taxes next year are going to cost, what it's going to cost you when something in your home inevitably breaks. Pretty soon you're wringing your hands with worry and wondering, how are you going to pay for it all? Or if you look at all the things that could go wrong at any given point, winter's coming, wonder if the furnace is going to last another year. Do I have enough money saved in case it breaks? We're getting ready to go on a trip. Is the car going to make it? What might break? Could it leave me stranded? Where would it leave me stranded? Where would I find someone to fix it? Pretty soon, instead of thinking about the glory of the trip you're about to take or the beauty of the winter that is about to fall, you're wringing your hands with worry and, and overcome with grief about something that may or may not happen. Same thing if you focus on your weaknesses or your many obligations or the people who may disapprove of you. There are a multitude of ways to fill your heart with worry. But there's only one way out of that worry. Stop looking at the things that you can't control. The unexpected trials, the uncompleted work, the unmerciful world, the imperfections of you. And look to the one who can control it all. Jesus pointed out our need to do exactly that in Luke 12. 
Luke 12, verse 22, he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus understood how easy it is to fall prey to worry. He saw how clearly, how often Satan uses those things that cause worry to distract us from God and from His power. So Jesus said, do not allow that. Instead, look to God, to your heavenly Father, and trust Him. He says, consider the ravens. Ravens don't plant crops. They don't build barns and silos to hold their crops. Nonetheless, he says, God feeds them. And you, whom God has adopted as his children through Christ, at such an unbelievably high price, will he not much more feed you than the ravens? Or again, he says, consider the lilies, how they grow. Lilies don't fret over the latest clothing styles. They don't spend their time toiling and spinning and sewing the new garments. And yet, he says... Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And does not God love you far more than he loves the flowers of the field? So Jesus says, don't focus on your need for food or for clothing. Not that you utterly ignore them, but don't allow that to fill your vision. Don't allow that to fill your heart. Instead, remember that God is your Father and he will provide what you need. Instead of worrying, he says, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. The Apostle Paul said much the same in Philippians 4. Paul wrote that letter after he had experienced trials and suffering, the likes of which most of us will never know. Paul had been whipped, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, starved, frozen. When he wrote the letter to the Philippians... He wrote from a place of incarceration. He was in jail, waiting to find out what fate would await him at the hand of the Romans. And yet, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. To be content, to be satisfied while in jail. How are you going to do that, Paul? Well, how he was going to do that is that his focus was not on the circumstance. His focus was not on the trial of the moment. His his focus was on the Lord, on God who loved Paul enough to call him out of his sin and rebellion, on God whose love and mercy was so great that even though Paul had spent his time hard-heartedly persecuting the people who were serving the Lord, nonetheless God humbled him and drew him up out of the darkness of his sin and paid for his debt with Christ's blood. And then gave him the privilege of telling others about that salvation. Knowing the love that God had shown to him. Knowing the mercy God had poured out on him. Paul focused on him. And therefore he could confess, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He didn't focus on the chains of his imprisonment. He didn't focus on the pain of the beating or the sting of the slander. He focused on the one who had called him and saved him and promised him eternity. And so he was content. Sound and helpful is the counsel of our catechism. 
If we truly understand that God upholds all things with sovereign power and unmatched wisdom, if we truly believe that He does so as our perfect Father, if that's the case, then we have no reason to worry. We have no reason to fear. And we have every reason to keep our eyes on Him. We can be patient when things go against us. And things will go against us. Sometimes lots of things go against us. Sometimes they seem insurmountable. We've seen some of that in our church family. When the pain spirals out of control, when the doctor utters that diagnosis that you never hoped to hear, when relationships become an overwhelming burden, sometimes it can seem like the whole world is conspiring against you, and yet, says our catechism, we can be patient. Why? Because we know that God's in control of all of it. And that God has promised that He will turn it all for the good of His children. And if we trust in Christ, that's us. So we don't have to sweat that stuff. We can leave it in the hand of God and do the next thing. We can also be thankful when things go well. Those who live in rebellion against God, they're happy to take the credit for the good things in their life. But that's a lie. Because they weren't the ones who made their plans a success. They weren't the ones who ensured that nothing went wrong. It was God and God alone who made it all happen. That's true for us as believers, but it's really true for all people. When things go well, when things are profitable, when things are good, it's God who has done that. And God deserves the praise. He deserves the glory. In fact, when we're giving Him that glory, we're standing at the pinnacle of our purpose. That's what we were made to do. And nothing will give us the joy and the satisfaction that that will. And furthermore, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from His love. Nothing will separate us from His love. Let that sink in a minute. Obviously, at least I I hope it's obvious, no natural event will steal us away from His love. There is no storm or fire. There is no blizzard or drought that can do it. God controls the events of this world and none of, us, none of it can snatch us away from Him. But likewise, the events of men. No accusation leveled by men can cause God to reject us. No temptation brought by men can draw us away from God. Neither politics nor persecution can drive a wedge between us and the Lord, nor can anything that we ourselves do. Sin is ugly, and so are the effects of sin, but God's love is greater, and so too His omniscience. God knew before He created you, before He determined to call you, He knew exactly how many and what nature of stupid things you would do. Isn't that amazing? He knew how foolishly you would fall into that temptation and how ugly the effects of it would be. And yet He chose to choose you anyway. He chose to send His Son to die for you anyway. And our Father is powerful enough to stop us from committing any sin that would separate us from Him and to turn for us unto our good even the effects of the sins that He allows us to commit. Imagine that. He's able to even turn the effect of our sins, which He hates, 
which dishonor Him in such a way as to bless us. That's amazing. Only God could pull it off. But because He has that kind of power, we can have good confidence that nothing will separate us from His love. Our Father perfectly provides for all the creation, especially the sons and daughters whom He loves. But we can find comfort in that fact. Only as we learn to look, seeking to perceive His work, only as we pray for the ability to understand it, only as we learn to expect both the sovereign power of our Creator God and the loving purpose with which He exercises it. So let us look. The more you see His work around you, the more you come to trust in it, the more you come to expect it. So look for the work of God that surrounds you. Pray for the power to grasp it, to understand it, to rely on the one who does it all. And then daily, hourly, look to Him and confess prayerfully, You are the one I trust. You are the one who will provide. You are the one. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so very weak. The list of what we cannot control in life is absolutely endless. And yet so tempted we are to focus on those things, to try controlling those things, to get ourselves wrapped up in anxiety over those things. Father, forgive us. Forgive us and teach us to look all around us at the work that you are doing, at the power that you are exercising, at the wisdom that you display that demonstrates your sovereign power and your loving care. And teach us to trust you, Lord. To trust you when things go against us. To acknowledge you when things go for us. And to truly learn to believe that no matter what comes, you will turn it to our good unto your glory. Father, we thank you for the reminder of your providential care. Grant that through that reminder, our faith in you might be strengthened and our ability and our desire to give you glory might grow. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We know that God is always at work in the world and in our lives. We don't always understand what He's doing or why. And that can be hard. That can be a challenge. But we need to get in the habit of confessing He's doing it and it's good. So let's do that in song. Singing from number 461, God moves in a mysterious way. Number 461 will sing all the stanzas.